Hello and welcome to Concert Pipeline. I'm Steve Jones. Today on the program we have Tom Haven. Uh, I had a chance to talk to Tom about his new album that he has that's, uh, that's coming out here in just a bit. Um, and uh, we talked about a, a, a lot of different stuff. His, his new album is called 24th Street Blues. Uh, it's coming out on October 6th um, and I got a chance to listen to it. Definitely recommend it. It's good listening. And uh, he's going to play a song from it later in the program, which is uh, pretty awesome as well. So, um, yeah, we had a we had a fun chat. So we'll get to that in just uh, a bit here. Before we do, I'll catch everybody up on what's going on in my life. Uh, I uh, What did I have going on? I was supposed to go fishing today um, with my buddy John. And uh, we got uh, got all our stuff, to, some stuff together earlier in the week. And uh, and then last night we loaded up the kayaks on the back of his truck and I got, uh, the, you know, the rest of my, uh, most of the rest of my stuff over to his house. So it's just ready to go so we could leave at 345 in the morning today. Uh, and I, uh, I went to sleep at like 9 p.m. last night because I wanted to get the better part of six hours uh, of sleep. And, uh, and so I went to sleep at nine. He's texting me at like 10 and asked if I'd uh, seen the weather and he sent me a link to a video on a Facebook group uh, for Facebook fishing group. And uh, apparently someone had posted video of the how much chop there was in the wave uh, yesterday. And it was pretty gnarly and, I, and, and someone went overboard on their kayak or some, something happened uh, that, he, that they had heard. And so it was ill-advised to go out today, uh, which is unfortunate. And um, and I don't know how much of this has to do with the, you know, pending hurricane that's going uh, going on in Southern California, because we're pretty far from that. Uh, that was speculation that, uh, that went around, but I don't know how much truth there is to it. Uh, but all I know is I was awoken at 10 p.m. Uh, to find out that they, my fishing trip to go out rock fishing and uh, and hopefully for lingcod and some good fish uh, was uh, was canceled. So. Might happen again in September. We'll see how September shakes out, but, uh, but I was looking forward to it. It was uh, going to be a lot of fun. So instead, I've just pretty much taken it easy today, um, and I'm going back and watching Fargo, the, the movie, uh, again with William H. Macy. So that's that's fun, uh, but uh, but not getting out. And so I'm, I'm not good at taking all weekend and, just, and not doing anything. So I'm uh, probably going to go tomorrow and take my puppy out to the beach um, in Pacifica and, uh, and just re relax there. I don't envision any big issues with going to the beach, but I just got to get outside somewhere. And, uh, and that seems like a, a safe choice. So I'm going to do that. Uh, and that's kind of the you know, highlight of what's going on in my life right now. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't have anything too exciting coming coming up. Um, I'm working on training my puppy uh, for duck season, and she's struggling with some of the training. So I'm having to adjust my approach to uh, to better adapt to what she needs. Um, that's not very exciting, though. She's uh, she's not doing as well as I would like her to. And uh, and obviously, this is my this is this is my first uh, duck dog, and it all lands on my shoulders. I'm, I don't know, I'm just not doing what she needs to connect the steps in the program that I'm going through. So I'm going to just adjust the program and try and still make progress forward. Um, that's my story there. So as I said, Tom Heyman is on the program. Uh, he's from San Francisco, so not too far away. Uh, and we had a really good chat. And let's go ahead and bring Tom on into the program. Here he is. How's your day treating you, Tom? Pretty good, you know. I've uh, already <laughs> been to the doctor and had a rehearsal. <laughs> Are you knocking stuff out, right? So <laughs> yeah. a lot. That's a lot of stuff in one day for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell me about the rehearsal. How do you prepare for that? Uh, it, it it was a rehearsal, just like a I'm a sort of hired guitar player on somebody else's gig. Um, in a couple of weeks, I just. He's coming up from LA and I was just running the band through their paces uh, before in anticipation of the gig because we don't we just have the day of the gig to rehearse. So it was just a sort of journeyman thing, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do a lot of work with uh, other people still like you're you know, I a lot in their room? do I got I you know, I didn't, you know, uh, kind of like it's like weird. I, I got into a mode of trying to say yes to everything after three years of being um 
well, you know, the, after the pandemic sort of. Um, and so it, it's, it's gotten a little weird because I, I got, I'm a little busier than I want to be, um, which, which is weird, you know, with, a, with, a, a, rec with a record coming out and stuff like that. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. I, I, I own a lot of guitars and I have to justify owning them. So I have to take these gigs with people so that I could justify having them and maybe getting more of them. You know, just, how many guitars you got? To, to, you know, I, I don't want to say. We don't need to put it on. That's right. You know, let's, let's put it this way. You know, this is, this is you know, less than twenty-five. Okay. Less than, okay. Less than twenty. Less than twenty-five. So, and and they and they and and all of them, all of them get used. Uh, yeah, well, that's good because if you're. If you're buying them and not using them, then what are you gonna, they're just yeah. taking up space, right? So. Yeah. Well, you know, there's worse things that you can spend your money on. I think. Yeah. Um, I would say so. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I like it. Well, uh, well, let's start at the beginning of moment. So, tell me a little bit about kind of uh, in listen, what music you listened to as a kid. What uh, What did your parents have in the, the house? Um, you know that, that that's so interesting. It's 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 something I think about a lot. Um, uh, you know, my parents are both super into music. My dad um, uh, was, you know, way into jazz. Um, a lot of piano players. He was like super into Thelonious Monk. And uh, he liked Monk. He liked um, Art Tatum a lot. He liked Earl Hines. Sort of just right around the bop era, you know, when it was beginning sort of. Um, so he was like really into that stuff. And then they were, you know, my parents are in their eighties now. Um, and so they were real Kennedy Democrats. So folk music also loomed really large in the house, you know, like, you know, some of it good, some of it bad, you know, a lot of Peter, Paul and Mary, um, uh, you know, John Denver, Gordon Lightfoot, um, and so, you know, there, there was a lot of music around the house. And then us kids, we had like I we had our own record player, which is weird. We had like a um, it was like sort of one of, like a dance set type all in one deal and a lot of kids records, like a lot of yeah. like Peter and the Wolf and various, you know, uh, the Jungle Book and stuff like that. So like I was I was listening to music really, really early. Um, and then also, you know, I'm old enough um, to wear like AM radio. As soon as I had like a small transistor radio, AM radio was fairly wide open at a certain point, um, especially where I grew up in, in suburban um, New Jersey, right outside of New York City. There was like a lot of powerful, um, you know, sort of rock stations. So you could hear on AM radio, you would hear everything from, you know, uh, I, I like the the OJs and the Beach Boys and the Hollies and you know BJ Thomas and you know and 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 stuff like that would would all be on the same station you know uh, yeah and so you know it was like a sort of a, a golden age of of radio and it was also the golden age of sort of 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 FM radio when I was old enough to figure that out you know so yeah. And, and you say you've uh, been reflecting on that. Do you do you like to go down that path and kind of pull out some of that old stuff that you listen to? Or you... you know, sometimes, I mean, the you know, the one thing, the thing that stuck with me the most from that era and that I sort of never, um, you know, th that I've never let go of is like my mom and dad were super into Gordon Lightfoot. So I really like, like Gord's Gold was like, was like a big record around the house and sundown was a big record around the house and so those songs like you really informed me early on um of a, a certain type of um a certain type of songwriting um and it's just kind of stuck with me it was like you know it, you know for a long time it kind of wasn't cool you know and then it was cool again <laughs> yeah yeah, and I was I was gutted when 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 Gordo died. Uh, it, was, it, really, it was a blow. Yeah, kind of. I mean, you know, I was lucky enough to see him a bunch of times. So, you know, and, you know, he was in a way he was fairly diminished at the end, um, but he was still doing it in this like way that was like unbelievable, you know, so. Did you ever get a chance to meet him? Tell him how much he, how much he... No, 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 no. 
No. No. I mean, I would have loved to yeah. have, but you know. Um, yes. Yeah. Last last show I saw him, I was we it was at the Palace of Fine Arts in San Francisco. Oh we were, yeah. yeah. We we're we we're pretty close um to the stage. So it was it was it was fairly astonishing, like like uh that you know, he was so he's so small. He's like uh like he's a, like he was like a tiny guy like he had like all sort of any sort of you know robustness had sort of left him you know he's very thin but he just like did the whole, he didn't really he didn't really have a minder or a roadie and he just had his own guitars on stage and he just like switching all night kind of leading the band with his guitar he was like amazing you know it was cool yeah a yeah. lifer that's that's awesome and, yeah. and when did you pick up the guitar uh you know uh I, I I guess probably when I was like um, twelve, maybe eleven or twelve, and then I just I picked it up, but I and I I took some lessons, and I just didn't really connect with it um, in a, the way that I wanted to. Like I didn't know what I wanted, and this is like the era of you know like guitar heroes and and you know like Led Zeppelin and stuff that just seemed so. You know, I had a nylon string guitar, you know, and my parents were like, you're going to take lessons. And I took lessons with this dude that was just like, not great. Um, like, you know, trying to teach me like classical. It's like, I don't want to learn this, man. I want, can't you show me like how to play? Like, you know, can't you show me like how to play Stairway to Heaven? No, he couldn't, you know? And yeah. so it was like, and so I, you know, I, I had a guitar and I didn't really connect with it until I was about 17 years old. Like I had one, I could, you know, I could play, play some chords and stuff. And, um, but I just didn't connect with it really properly. And then I, you know, when I was about 17, I guess, maybe I was 16 or 17, I, I got this teacher that was, um, he just like, I would I I sort of discovered um some stuff on on like college radio um around the time like various like folk shows and stuff like that uh that had like like country blues like like uh, Mississippi John Hurt style country blues and also like uh Doc Watson flat picking guitar and you know what like what like Black Mountain Rag like you know stuff like you know, I, I can't do it anymore. I could do it when I was a kid, you know. Stuff like that. And and I I was I was uh, I I discovered this guy that could really play that stuff and he showed it to me and it just I I, tr I went from being like somebody who couldn't really play guitar to somebody who connected so deeply with what I was being taught that I got um you know, I learned a whole bunch of songs, like I sort of, I was, you know, I didn't really, everything suffered except for my, you know, except for that, like, so schoolwork went out the window and, you know, stuff like that. So I, I, I got really into, you know, just sort of Mississippi John Hurt, Mance Lipscomb, um, Reverend Gary Davis, and then Doc Watson and other folk music stuff. And I, and that was like really not, cool it like you know my friends yeah. were all into my classmates were into like the outlaws and leonard skinnerd and led zeppelin and and you know like some kids were hip to van halen it was just like starting to really happen and and that just stuff just seemed so far away from what I, it just seemed unattainable like how does someone do that i don't yeah. know how you do that stuff and this other stuff just like resonated with me and I went pretty deep on that for a while. Um, and then I got heavily into like sort of a, a, a kind of like a, a, a traditional electric blues thing. And, and it was just, and I sort of just taught myself in a really slow way. Yeah. And, you know? and was it always guitar or did you uh, dabble in other instruments as well? Not really. I mean, when I was quite young, I took piano. And uh, when I say quite young, I mean like in third grade and yeah. uh, and I took it, I probably took piano for about a year and a half. You know, my older sister took piano. My dad played piano um, and, you know, we all went to the same teacher and it was the same thing. Like I, I forever to this day regret not really learning to play the piano. Like at a certain point, I got to a certain point when I was 
in you know i don't know how old you are when you're third grade like eight or nine or something like that yeah uh i you know i got to a point where i could play some stuff out of like the jesus christ superstar songbook you know uh yeah yeah, but you know once again it was a thing like what did i i wanted to play like elton john and my teacher was not going to show me that you know she couldn't do it she wanted me to learn how to play you know some beethoven stuff or something and not that i just wish i had kind of stuck with it or i wish i had a better teacher um i i regret not you know really sticking with that because just playing the playing the piano is it's kind of an invaluable yeah. thing and i can sit down at a piano now and and play it a little bit like a guitar player you know i sure. know how to make chords and <laughs> stuff like that but you know i just wish i had sort of stuck with it you know but it really i was really turned off by like this sort of regimented approach and stuff you know yeah and also i just you know i i wasn't ready and i don't think i have any particular um musical ability i think i just sort of wanted to learn how to play and and that's what helped me when i when i finally sunk into you know um doing it i don't think i don't have a i don't think i have a particularly good ear or anything like that like other people i knew you know i grew up with kids that were like like mind-boggling musicians like absolutely you know like like how could you do that you just learned that whole side a and b of that frank zappa record and you're playing like and it just seemed so alien to me like i couldn't hear it you know yeah like i remember like a, a good you know like a buddy of mine in high school like when dire straits came out he just taught himself those licks and i was like what yeah, how do you do that? It, yeah. it never occurred to me to go, hey, Joe, um, may, show me. Like, it was just it was unattainable. So I just sort of went my own way. Yeah, and so that, so you said you kind of really got into it around 17. Were you in any high school bands or you just did your own thing? No, I did my own thing. I did my own thing. And then when I got to college, um, when I was a freshman in college, I wound up um, like my freshman year and I was – you know, I was a kid. I mean, I just really was kind of like, I think about myself at 18 and, and, you know, I, I, you know, I, like, it was just like, you know, I had had some experiences in life, but I was a very, you know, I was very much of a kid. And yeah. I, I wound up, you know, my, my freshman year, I wound up in a band because I, I, you know, I knew this sort of a little bit of this sort of bluegrass style of playing. I wound up in a band with um, some guys that were quite a bit older than me. Um, uh, they, they, they were like seniors, you know, and I just could flat pick a little bit, you know, like enough with enough authenticity to be in a band. So I was, you know, the first semester of my freshman year of college, I'm in a band with a, you know, a, a five string banjo player that was a senior in college, but had also been in the Navy for four years. Oh, wow. And okay. so he was old. He was, you know, he was older than all of us, you know, like yeah. he had he had gone to the Navy and and and, you know, then went to college after he got after he got out of the Navy. So he seemed impossibly old. And he was a, he was a terrific musician and he had really taught himself how to play on a ship, you know, like on his time off and, and stuff like that. So I was in a band with these guys uh, so with a five, like with an upright bass player of, you know, a five string banjo player and a mandolin player. And that was like, was like heady. And I'll, and then I, after that, you know, I, I split, I stopped playing with those guys and I had like an acoustic blues duo with a harmonica player. And we would play like, like we had, I was like, we had like 40 songs down, you know? And and so we, you know, like I played like a little bit, but at the same time, um, I had an electric guitar and I started I, I really wanted, I was like really into like certain, you know, like punk and new wave and stuff like that. And then, and I sort of wanted to play rock and roll too. And I sort of started playing catch up on that stuff um, in college. So yeah, that's, you know, that's what I, that it really started for me when I was in college. Were you living in Philly at that point? No, or? no, no, I no I, my, uh, Philadelphia was, you know, I, I, I was, I was going to college in Maine. I went to college in, in, in central Maine. Um, and, uh, you know, Philly was like a, that's a whole other sort of thing. I, I say about Philadelphia, I grew up in Northern New Jersey. My city was New York city, not Philadelphia. I just, we just wended our way to Philadelphia. 
And I was a, an adult when I got to Philadelphia. So I say I, I spent my formative adult years in Philadelphia. <clears throat> so I was, you know, 24 when we moved to Philly, maybe 23, 24 when I moved to Philly. So, you know, I, I just sort of had on and off again band experiences. But the um, when I by the time I got to Philly, you know, I was in a real band and they were guys, these were all guys that I went to college with and we sort of had the same thing and we were determined to be in a band and we we started out in Washington DC for whatever reason no no real reason you know my I had some musical connections down there my sister lived there she was going to college there it was a city you know can move into it works, a city yeah yeah you know like what okay whatever you know and and not really realizing how crazy expensive like the metro dc area was oh, it, yeah. it did have it did have like a really vital music scene and has for years it's the most as far as guitar player it's the most gunslinging place you've ever been you know like austin texas makes a big show about blah 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 austin texas steve nothing no compared to dc dc just had this it's a crossroads and it just had this talent you know, you know, Danny Gatton and everything that he, uh, you know, and all of his acolytes and and Roy Buchanan and all of his acolytes. And then just like, you know, Bobby Parker was based there. There was a whole crazy jazz thing there. There was a whole unbelievable country music thing there. And I think because it's such a transient place and it attracted so many professionals and stuff like that. And it's also like it's not the north and it's not the south. And, it, you know, just you know, it was, it was a, it was a gunslinging place, like guitar wise, you know, just like, whoa, dude. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, it was, it was cool. That was, that was cool. Um, and then, you know, we all just moved to Phil, you know, this was by the time, by this time, the band was called Go to Blazes. We moved to Philadelphia, like all at once. We had a record deal, moved to Philadelphia, rehearsed every night, you know, like in a band, we could get a band house for like, insane insanely cheap um you know like we were all paying like 200 bucks a month rent for this enormous wow. place you know like 200 bucks a month each you know and just rehearsing every night until this record came out and we just like sort of showed up on the scene and it was like sort of like the you know we were a gang it was amazing yeah, yeah. and did you did you tour behind that the album that you made there uh well we you know we 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 were in philadelphia for 10 for almost 10 years and and at one two three one two three four five five records you know six if you count like a compilation and seven if you count some other stuff and a bunch of singles and yeah we toured from philadelphia a lot we toured the united states you know um you know different legs of it numerous times we toured europe numerous times um, yeah, it was a, it was a good place. It was good. It was a good place to operate out of, you know, just, it was, you know, 90 minutes from New York, you know, two plus hours from DC. Uh, you could be, you could get anywhere fast, you know, close to international airport, you know, it was, it was a great place to be from. Yeah. So, yeah um, a bunch know, of records. Uh, I know we're kind of made it to your mid twenties, but I wanted to actually talk about hitchhiking from uh, across the country from New Jersey. Like, and what was that experience like? I've never even driven cross country. Well, but I couldn't you know, even imagine hitchhiking. It was, it was weird. Um, my friends, like people just hitchhiked, you know, like, yeah. like I'm, 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 I'm older than you. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, I, I graduated from high school. Um, I did that when I was, you know, I, I was, um, I graduated from high school like six months early. I was just like, I hated high school. I, I, you know, it was just like one of those things. It wasn't, it was difficult for me, um, for whatever reason. And, um, you know, I went to work, um, and, you know, saved up a bunch of money. And then, you know, I had some friends in I had a friend in Minneapolis and I, I just, I just hitchhiked most of the way, you know, like most of the way across the U S and it was like, uh, it was, you know, amazing and it was you know frightening uh it was it was i think about it i don't need, i don't know how i did it honestly you just you know i had these friends that did it and i looked up to them and i was like fuck it i'm gonna do that i'm gonna try that 
that's cool. And I had hitched before, like, you know, like you could hitch around New Jersey, you know, I hitchhiked to school, you know, like, you know, like I lived far away, far enough away from high school that, you know, you could just put your thumb out and get a ride, you know, and somebody else's parents would pick you up and like, why aren't your parents driving you to school? So my parents, they're like, get to school on your own, you know, figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Figure it out. You can walk. It's only, it was only like a mile and a half or something like that. You know, it wasn't really that far, you know, and, and I was just like, oh, I'm late. I'm going to stick my thumb out and somebody's, somebody's mom who gets him to ride to school every day is going to pick me up. Yeah. <laughs> Does your mom want a carpool? No, no, she doesn't. No, nope. that's why I'm hitchhiking. <laughs> yeah. My, and, my mom was very figure it out too. Like I had to bike to school during El Nino. In high school and yeah. You know, and it, yeah. like, it wasn't a hardship, you know, like I didn't, yeah, grow, yeah, yeah. I didn't grow, I'm not saying I, well, you know, I grew up, you know, you know, trudging across, you know, like with nothing but, yeah. you know, uh, you know, tissue boxes for my shoe. No, it's just like, my parents were just like, that's where high school is. You can walk there in, 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 in 40 minutes right. or less, yeah. you know, just go. Yeah. Just go. Yeah. Get there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so you had those uh, those five albums. You toured ac across the country. Where where did that take you from there after uh, after you know those albums that you did? Uh, well, you know, band broke up. Um, you know, and we, you know we broke up. It wasn't like a disaster or anything like that. We were we were all friends. It just had sort of run its course. People wanted to get on with their lives. Um, I didn't. Um, I'm I. I was like, uh, uh, you know, and I was I lived in Philly for a year after we broke up, and then um i made my way out to san francisco i was like carrying on this you know long distance love affair with the woman who's now my wife and she was living in portland oregon i was living i knew her from philly and she had she came back out west to go to grad school to get um get her mfa in painting and and whatever and we were just like sort of leading our lives um and this just kept reconnecting and so we made this decision to, to meet in san francisco and i had connections i had some connections here my sister i had another sister I come from a big family i've got i've got four sisters and a brother and uh, another one of my sisters lived in san francisco so i wasn't um i wasn't going straight into the breach and i i just felt like i had to get out of philadelphia um and i think it was a mistaken thought um uh, I just felt like if I was gonna try and do something on my own, I wasn't this. I wasn't the singer in Go to Blazes. I was just. I was the. Uh, I was a songwriter. I was one of the other primary. One of the two primary songwriters, and I was the lead guitar player. And I was after the band broke up. I would. You know. I didn't sing. I. I was in a band with a singer who was so good that I just didn't open my mouth. Um, yeah. You know. I just didn't, and it would really you know, it was really dumb because it's just not something that you can just do. You know, certainly I couldn't just open my mouth and start singing like somebody who could sing as good as, as, as Ted, who was the singer and go to blazes. He was just like, he just had a, you know, he had really good pitch and he had just like a really good sort of rock and roll voice. And it was, you know, it was fairly extraordinary, um, uh, instrument. And I just, it was like, not even, open my mouth and let this sort of weird caterwauling come out of it, you know? And I just, so I didn't feel like I could do that in Philly. I'm driving across the country and I was just, you know, with all my stuff in an Econoline van. And I was like, I'm, I was determined to not be dependent on a somebody else to sing my songs again. So I just yeah. sort of willed myself into doing it, you know, and it's kind of, it's weird. It's like taken me this long to um, to get comfortable with my voice, uh, you know, such as it is. It's a, it's a funny and, thing. And did you start songwriting at the same time? Like, uh, no, no, no. I'd been, I, I, I was a songwriter all through Go to Blazes. I was like one of the, okay. I was, so the, me and Ted wrote all, most of the songs in the band. So I was, you okay. know, I, you know, my, my songwriting started the minute that I was in an original band. I, I, I knew that like, you know, oh, you have to write songs. Okay. So I'm going to write songs. So I, so I taught myself to do it. Um, and so, it was, you know, for the, for that whole band, um, you know, like I was, you know, the two of us were the primary songwriters. Um, but then, you know, I just like, I just wasn't, you know, going to give my songs to somebody else to sing. I was like, I can't be beholden to anybody anymore that way. I have to be, I have to learn how to sing my own songs, not, 
write a song and turn it over to somebody else, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and what did you love about San Francisco? What is it about the, the city? Uh, well, I mean, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's just like, it's kind of like a weirdly, it's a, it's a, it's a very like physically beautiful setting, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, there's, there's just so much green and, um, you know, just like you're, you know, wherever you are in the city, you're never that far from the water. Um, there's, you know, there's, you know, there's, it had everything, you know, um, and it's also just like crazy wide open in a way that, you know, like Philadelphia was a, it was a wild city, like in a way, but, um, uh, Philadelphia also like, you know, it's like you had to buy liquor from the state liquor store. <laughs> mm, yeah. yeah, like, yeah. So like, if you didn't make it there on Sunday when they closed at two, you know, there was, no, but in San Francisco, you could go to the corner store and you could buy a gallon of Jim Beam until two o'clock in the morning, any night of the week. So yeah. like uh, San Francisco, just like, it was a party in place, man. And I was a hard partying dude. And, uh, and, you know, I like, you know, like I like to drink and I like to party and I like to hang out. And uh, th there was that and it just, you know, I also I had also been coming to San Francisco since I was a, like a young child, like 67 was your first time in San Francisco. Right? I think it was yeah. 67 or 68. Um, I can't remember. I was just talking to my dad about that. Maybe it wasn't, maybe it was 68 or 60. It was 60. It was somewhere between 1967 and 1969. Uh, but yeah, I, I came with my parents. My dad's a lawyer. He was working on a big case out here. It was like the crazy thing where like the summer of like the hippies, whatever, yeah. you know, we didn't see any of that. No, we like, no, no, man. No, we were like, we were downtown in a nice hotel my sister were like little kids you know like tiny little kids you know like like i was yeah uh, I, I guess i was six years old the first time i came here so um and and uh so uh, it, was, it was 68 it was the summer of 68 i think i was you know five or six i like i was little and you know we were just like Stay, you know, like hanging out in a hotel downtown or, you know, going to Fisherman's Wharf with my parents. The hippies were not there. We were not seeing yeah. hippies, you know, like, the, you know, maybe they're around, but, you know, San Francisco has always been weird that way. They're not, you know, like, it, you know, there, there's downtown is different from the rest of the city. Like, oh, yeah. you know, so many places, you know. Yeah, maybe they were so, in Golden Gate Park. Maybe that's they were where. in, they were up in, they were at Haight Ashbury. They were in the Mission. Yeah. They were, yeah. you know, maybe they were in Noe Valley. But um, uh, but they weren't, you know, down uh, down near Coit Tower, and you know, and 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 North Beach, uh, you know, was was you know, there were beats certainly there and hippies there, but it also North Beach was like very much of a, you know, a working class, also you know, Italian sort of, and touristy place, and and and. So it was less apparent there, you know, we went to North, we were in North Beach a lot, um, just because it's cool, you know, it was like, a, it's, it's got like neat stuff, you know, and it was close to where my parents, where the hotel was, you know, so, but I, I've been coming here for a long time and come here, like, I, I, you know, I came again, like in the early 70s with my folks again, I came you know, and visited in the eighties. Uh, I came here on tour. My sister lived here. I, uh, you know, like I, there's like a real pull, like it, it sank its claws into me at a young age. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's weird. Um, Where do you like to go to shows there? My, my favorite is the Fillmore, by the way. So that's the correct uh, answer. <laughs> yeah, Fillmore is amazing. Uh, I like, uh, I like the Fillmore. I like the, you know, like if I go in a like actual concert concerts, I really like the Great American Music Hall. Yeah, um, it's yeah. you know I just like that old school, you know vaudeville house sort of thing that that it's got. You know, plus it's it's just um, the sound is really good, and I've I've played there a bunch of times um, with various bands, and it's just it's just a terrific place to see a band. I like that. Um, I like the bottom of the hill um yes. you know it's a great you know i work at a at a bar called the makeout room um and okay. you know there's a lot of good shows there um uh 
there's uh um there's a bar out by the beach called the riptide that's owned by a friend of mine that's a fun place to see bands you know i you know i i like almost all the rooms in san francisco you know like they're they all have something to offer and any place that's still open i love the chapel chapel is really good oh yeah you know any place that's still open i'm like (laughs) yeah grateful you know I'll, i'll tell you like when COVID hit and Slim shut, that really hit me because, like, I grew up going to shows there. You know, like, I mean, that was well. Slim's was just a, such a. It yes. was like it was a great place. You know, it wasn't. Yeah. You know, the sound wasn't always awesome. Um, but yeah, those they, holes that are in the way. Yeah, they, yeah <laughs> that's like structural difficulties. Yeah. But right. you know, it, it, I, I saw so many good shows there, and I played so many fun. Sh- I played so many fun shows there. Um, and and you know when you played there there's this thing that like they just you know it was like this there was always like a band meal um and and it was like well that's cool i mean i guess the fact that you know boss gags is one of the owners or you know even if he was like a minority owner of it or whatever really you know a silent partner the idea that like there was a band meal that was cooked you know in the place it was like that's pure class, you know, it's like, you know, made you feel like a little bit special, you know? So it's a lot lot of good shows there. A lot of, lot of fun stuff. Yeah. Um, So let's talk about the new album uh, a little bit. So it comes out on October 6th, uh, 24th street blues. And it's uh, named kind of about your, your home really. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, I just sort of started writing songs about, um, you know, it didn't start out to be like a concept record, you know, it just, yeah. I just had these songs that were kind of about um, uh, the neighborhood. Uh, you know, I've lived here now longer than I've lived anywhere, which is hard for me to fathom. Um, I, I still don't, you know, I'm not a Californian. I was born in Brooklyn, New York. You know, my family is all, you know, both sides of my family, you know, go back to the go back you know come from new york city and um and i but now i've spent like i've spent a lot of time i've lived here longer than i've lived anywhere and it's strange and it's also strange to live in a place long enough to see it you know change a couple of different ways you know when i lived in philadelphia um when I moved to Philadelphia, Philadelphia was on junk bond status. I mean, mm-hmm. and it and it was it was in bad shape, and you know it was about I, I, maybe it was about five years after the move bombing. I don't know if you know about the move bombing in Philadelphia, where I, they I don't think the, so. Move was anyway the the Philadelphia police dropped an incendiary device on a house um, that was like a sort of cult. People lived in it, and the the Philadelphia Police Department dropped a bomb on a house and they burned you know like they burned a city block of homes and and it was like this devastating crazy thing and so that that's when i moved to philadelphia and by the time i left philadelphia it really reversed course and it was like it was like there was a concerted effort to make it a better place and i left before that before this utter transformation happened to the city but it was in progress and I wasn't really that aware of it when I was leaving, you know, I was like, oh, stuff's getting better here, I guess, kind of. But then, you know, I got to San Francisco and I lived here long enough to watch it go through these sort of, um, you know, and, and lived on the same street for long enough to watch 24th Street like change and then change again. And, yeah. and you know, it's, I don't think it's um, anything that doesn't happen to any urban area. It goes through changes like, you stay the same everything around you changes you know and you can yeah. and, and it's hard to wrap your head around that you know but i you know the, i i you know 24th street didn't have any bookstores on it now it's got two you know there was one place to get coffee or like there was a couple of you know like now there's you know several um and then it's also gone through these other changes you know and then there was just like so um a very long-winded way of saying i you know stuff changed and i just yeah. started writing about it you know yeah sort of 
the mission is on fire. So tell me about that experience. And I mean, well, that was just, you know, like there was a fire um, on Mission Street um, before the big fire at um, at the Mission Market there. Like there was a, a so, you know, I work in this bar on 22nd Street. And so there was a fire in well, I think it was like a Masonic. There was like a there's a hidden Masonic hall that was on Mission Street between 22nd and 23rd. And that caught fire. And so um, I forget what happened, but it was like, you know, like there's a hole, there's a hole in the block there now. There still is a hole in the block there where the where that fire happened. And it and it and they had to, you know, they eventually they they knocked that down. Then um then the mission market building, which was on mission at 22nd Street. Um it's a 19, it's a, you know, I think it the building predates the 1906 earthquake you know that it um I, I i i think or it did it's not there anymore and it I, I don't know if you remember that but there was a there was a um a popeyes uh um a clothing store um la tenia taqueria um like a watch repair place and then inside inside the building you could like you could walk in from end to end and there was like a fish market a flower market a vegetable market all down in the lower you know it was called the mission market and it was like sort of this kind of cool place and and you know like i you know when i was working a bar shift i would you know take a break and get dinner at altenia um and then the second floor was all sort of professional um stuff you know there was like a you know like a i think a you know, accountant, you know, uh, uh, a couple of, uh, uh, you know, body worker people up there, like, um, uh, acute, you know, uh, what's, what's the needles, uh, acupuncture, right? Acupuncture. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, that, and then, you know, other stuff, um, I think wise sons had, you know, they had moved something into it. Um, like their bagel making facility was moved in there, but there were other, you know, like older business, like, you know, like, um, you know travel agency blah 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 and then the um i think that i think it was a five i think it was five stories but then the, and then the stories above that were all were um were residential um yeah. and uh and 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 the building caught fire and it was a four alarm blaze and it was you know it made the national news it was huge um it was just like this raging inferno and it was just and you know a guy died and and you know a bunch of people were displaced and all the businesses were displaced and you know the building wasn't completely destroyed and then it caught fire two more times after that oh my gosh wow. you know um like small small fires you know like people got in started fire you know blah 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 and then now so then now there's just this big hole in the ground there and i think the site is you know going to be developed into an you know whatever um and then like after that on the other end of literally on the other end of mission street you know um towards that towards the outer mission on 29th street where the 32 i think it was the 3200 club used to be in coal hardware um that building catches fire devastating blows out the whole thing and and that's entirely gone that's a city block you know like gone and now there's yeah. now there's um you know some kind of condos there and they they, they got that one that one went up fast so it's just like it just sort of resonated and i was just like and then you know like you occasionally walking up 24th street and i'd be walking up 24th street and then you see a bunch of burned stuff in the sidewalk and like it's like somebody had a somebody had a fire in their apartment you know and and it's, it's like it's, you know we live in this city that's that's uh you know wooden framed houses you know and it's just like right? it, it, yeah. you know it, it's wood framed houses and and you know stuff just you know, we'll just go up. And, you know, all this stuff was happening, you know, with these buildings burning was happening with at the same time as the rise of the Google bus, the Twitter tax break, um, just the like insane crunch of of Uber and Lyft being left into the city. So there's, you know, all of a sudden, there's 50,000, uh, you know, extra cars coming into the city every day. Um, and, you know, you like I was, um, teaching a lot of guitar lessons at the time. And I was like doing house calls and I'm trying to get across town at, at, uh, you know, at, at five o'clock to get to my next lesson. Mm. And I'm watching these double decker buses, 
you know, go up and down streets that don't even have regular city bus routes on them. And I'm like, what the? Wow, and yeah. it just felt like it just felt like stuff was kind of out of control. Um, and and like they're just like no, the, like the brakes weren't put on anything. And I just and the you know, fr- you know the the phrase the mission is on fire popped into my head, and I wrote a song about it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, and, that, that was it. Yeah. You know, sure. And and with this album, you have a, a songbook that you put together also with com- you know companion artwork by your your wife. And tell me about kind of about that dynamic because. Uh, you uh, you wrote there that she had an uncanny knowing of uh, what you wanted to uh, to see without you even having to say a word about it. So well, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I'll, I'll tell you know, like I I'd, I'd been thinking about trying to do you know I was determined not to when this record came around I was kind of like I don't think I want to do vinyl um, again I'd done it twice and and it's I was just there you know there was a time when you know at the at that point there was like this crush um of turning uh turning vinyl like the turn times were were like um anywhere from eight to 11 months to turn stuff around Mm. at the pressing plant so like because all of a sudden you know all the majors were you know taking you know who who had closed their vinyl pressing plants you know were clogging up every other you know vinyl uh manufacturing place like trying to you know put out the new Taylor Swift record on vinyl or, you know, put out a new box set or reissue something on vinyl. And it was like, I was like, I don't know if I can do it. And then, uh, you know, and then touring with it is hard because it's, um, expensive, heavy and fragile. (laughs) And so I was was like, I want to do something. I want to have something. So I'm not just putting out a CD. And I had had a song in, um, published in acoustic guitar magazine. And it was like a revelation seeing a lead sheet for one of my songs. It was just like super duper cool. And yeah. I was like, that's cool. Maybe I'll make a songbook. And that brought me back to like, um, you know, when I was a kid and I, I was learning how to play guitar. Like when I was 17, um, you know, 16, 17 years old, you know, you could go to the music store and buy the songbook of the album that you liked. So I had a songbook of, of harvest you know by you know neil young and 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 it looked exactly like harvest it looked like the album it's still in print i mean you could just go to the you know that's that's still in print somewhere i'm i'm pretty sure it's like the your the publishing company put out the songbook so you know yeah. he was you know on reprise or whatever he was on and you know his you know music was published through warner you know warner brothers probably and so warner brothers published his song published his sheet music and it like here's his songbook it has all the songs in the order that they're on in the record. And it just has some extra artwork because you have these blank pages and stuff like that. Um, so it looked like the, you know, the fold out of the record, but with some extra pictures and it's cool. And then I had, um, so the real model for it was at the same time, I had this book that um, combined working man's dead and American beauty, the two sort of, you know, like probably the, the most of the defining era of the grateful dead but both those books collected in a single songbook um and it was produced by you know it was like i think it was a warner brothers publication again like they were you know warner brothers was their publisher or whatever but it was done at uh kelly alton kelly and stanley mouse's studio and i don't know if you know kelly and mouse they're super you don't think you know them but you do uh, mm-hmm. If you know anything about San Francisco, they're the they're the yeah. preeminent poster artists of the '60s. So oh, okay. they were underground. They were like heavily connected to underground comics and poster art. So they did all this incredible art. So Kelly Mouse, you know, like every Fillmore poster and Matrix poster and everything was like they had those deals. And they made this book of these two Grateful Dead records that is just an absolutely beautiful piece of artwork it was like each it was like oversized on like a you know like really beautiful almost like uh cloth uh you know you know cloth bound but it's it's like it was like paper that feels like it has cloth in it you know and every song had like a bespoke piece of artwork like an incredible like that that was about the song and i wanted that to be 
in a way what this came out looking like. So, you know, my directive to Deirdre was, um, and, you know, she's not an illustrator. She's a painter. Deirdre's a, you know, a fine art oil painter who doesn't do commissions, doesn't do any of that stuff. It's all, you know, it all comes from her brain. So it's like, she's not an illustrator, but I was like, you know, here are the songs, here are the lyrics. I trust you to come up with it. And she just came up with this stuff that was like kind of incredible, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, some of it was, you know, like the, I had a photograph of, of um, the Mission Market building, um, you know, and uh, she used that a little bit as a model, but having the flames be marigolds, you know, that ties into, you know, uh, the Day of the Dead and like how, you know, how important that is in this neighborhood and you know marigolds are, are part of that and just you know and she, she just she just got every one of them it was just like crazy i was like this is amazing yeah so you know, i did yeah. have to browbeat her into doing it i mean, it was, I mean of course you know, you know. <laughs> it was it was during you know it was like during covid um you know uh, and and she and 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 she, you know, she's an instructor at, um, at city college, teaches painting and drawing at city college. And she teaches at UC Davis and, you know, everything closed. And she, you had exact, if you were like a college teacher, you had like eight days to figure out how to teach uh, a studio art class on zoom. Right. And so, so she had to figure out, Oh, how am I going to do this? I have to get internet at my studio. Um, uh, get, uh, get a zoom link. Uh, and and be able to do a live demo over Zoom, and also do demos and add them to and like teach, you know, like for, you know, hundreds of students. And so you know, while this is going on, on you know, and she's doing this, and I'm not working because you know the bar working is closed, and I'm just like sort of sitting on my ass, and I'm like going, yeah. so uh, I need you to turn around these um these uh you know twelve paintings. You know, just you're not like, too busy. Yeah, yeah. If you know, just like we, we find the time, but try and find the time to do it. You know, so, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I kid, but only partly. You know, only, only a little bit. Only a little yeah. bit. No, it's a. I mean, it's a good combo, and uh, yeah, I mean, the album is solid. Also, I, uh, I dig it. So, um, so congratulations, and I know you're you're excited for it to come out. So yeah, um, you know, it's long time coming, sort of. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, you're open to playing a song from the album. I am. Yeah, uh, I'll play. Why don't I play the um? Why don't I play the title track? Uh, just let me know if you can hear this. All right, I'll just I'll just do a little bit, you know, and then just tell me if I'm good to go, and then I'll go. Just tell me if this. Is that coming through? All right. Yeah, it sounds great. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay. A windy late September day that San Francisco's summer sun came streaming. I watched an old man nod and sway his eyes slit shut. It looked like he was dreaming. Light a cigarette and wait. The bus is late. It's getting hard to earn a living. Then I pass it back to my junkie friends In the end, I hope we're all forgiven And it might take from now to kingdom come You never hear me say I paid my dues Just promise not to ask where I come from I'll tell you about the 24th Street Blues coming garbage trucks come rolling up from a block away you can hear the engines humming tie big suits and rubber boots they power wash the sidewalks till they're glistening 
shopping carts have all rolled away. This town's pay to play, I guess. No one was listening. It might take from now to kingdom come. Man, you'll never hear me say I paid my dues. Just promise not to ask where I come from. And I'll tell you about the 24th Street Blues. Scaffolds rise and the buildings fall. You can stop to count the cranes on the horizon. And another evening settles in outside. I hear the mission doorbells ringing. Pretty soon we'll be gone too, just like me and you. Once the wrecking ball stops swinging. Speak up if you got something to say Don't just stand there staring at your shoes If you know what's best, you best be on your way Don't get stuck here with the 24th Street Blues There you go. There we go. I like it. Thanks. That, that, that was great. No. Thank, thank you. I, you know, I'm still, I'm, you know, it's funny. These songs, I haven't really performed them that much live, so I'm still trying to figure out how to do it. Uh, it it sounded wonderful. Hey, look, it was a good practice for uh, yeah. for me playing them live, right? So, yeah, yeah. Uh, I like it. Well, well, Tom, I want to thank you for for taking the time and. Uh, um, yeah, are you planning on playing a bunch of shows around the album release? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, I'm, I'm starting to stack them up right now. They'll all go on my website once they're all confirmed and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I think um, there, there should be a bunch of things. Uh, so, anyway, people will know Very where to look. Very cool. Well, I wish you luck with that. And, uh, yeah, thanks, Tom. I appreciate it. And I hope you have a, a great rest of your day ahead, okay? Thanks so much, man. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed this. That was my interview with Tom Heyman here on Concert Pipeline. And that takes us to the final segment on the program, the music news. Got a couple of stories to wind out the program. Uh, first is uh, about Devo. Uh, they said that they were once paid $50 to quit and uh, now they're retiring after 50 years. So uh, it's, they're on their uh, final retirement tour. Uh, they're calling it quits tour, whatever you want to call it, um, and where they're not going to tour anymore, apparently. So, um, and I thought they had a, uh, uh, a San Francisco show that's, uh, that's lined up, but I don't know if that already happened or if it's going to happen. Um, there's some funny D uh, Devo I have a funny Devo story from back in the day. Uh, yeah, okay, November 14th. They do have a show uh, at uh, celebrating 50 years of de-evolution, uh, de and they, uh, they're playing in San Francisco at uh, Golden Gate Theater. So if you want to see Devo, you can, uh, you can see them there. Um, they, uh, they did an interview um, kind of reflecting on the, all the years of... Uh, uh, of their uh, careers, and um, and they said they pretty much talk about how uh, if you have four wives, it's like you have four wives and you're working together forever, and it's tricky. Any sort of relationship is tr tricky to maintain, so they've had to take breaks, and, uh, and but they're still kind of cracking at it, right? They were nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame three times, but never never really uh, got it. So uh, that's kind of on par with you know, what it's like to be in Devo. Um, uh, let's see, Nero Young asked them to be involved in his experimental human, uh, experimental film, film, Human Highway, which was a release in 1982. And I think that was a break for them. Uh, and, uh, and then 
what, what else? Uh, I mean, this, this article goes on and on, but while they're saying farewell to touring, it's not entirely the end. A new box set of rarities, Art Devo 1973 to uh, 1977 is coming in September along with the documentary and production. Uh, and uh, there's no sloppy sentiment about retiring from performing for Mother's Bow. Uh, I'm looking forward to 2073. He jokes we'll play 100th anniversary Devo shows and then maybe retire. Uh, and Casal is um, more and more in full. He says, I'm in denial because I love performing and I hate to see it go. It was part of D Devo's DNA, but we did as well as we could uh, for as long as we could. Uh, that's the story on Devo. Uh, Taking Back Sunday played a surprise set in Long Island, their, their hometown. Um, it was a, in a in a garden apparently uh, a, a house gig, and it was in Lyndhurst, Long Island, on su uh, Sunday, August thirteenth. Uh, and according to fans on social media, they took over the Smiths Brothers' backyard, whoever the Smiths Brothers are. The sh show served as a homecoming to the group. Uh, it was also a throwback to the early days of their career, where they used to play uh, local shows in the same fashion. Uh, and People posted some videos online in this backyard show. I mean, a pretty small crowd, but people are getting uh, pretty excited. I mean, it looks like there's like 75 people there probably. Um, and they, people just thought that this was completely unreal. Uh, uh, a fan wrote, only on Long Island can the stuff of dreams happen. You just had to be there. Someone else said, take my Sunday and friends are in the backyard. Absolutely unreal. And... Uh, I, um, I'm not sure how this came about, but um, but they were. Uh, it was pretty exciting for a lot of people who got to be there and see it. Pretty cool. Um, okay, Dolly Parton put out a cover of "Let It Be" uh, with Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, uh, Mick Fleetwood, and Peter Frampton also appear on the on the cover of the, uh, this cover that she did. Uh, and this is part of her forthcoming 49th studio, solo studio album, Rockstar. They uh, previously shared a cover of Queen's We Are the Champions uh, from her forthcoming album. And uh, the, uh, she's done, I guess, some other songs as well. And the, this rock star album uh, features nine original songs and 21 covers of rock classics, including Purple Rain by Prince, uh, The Rolling Stones, I Can't Get No Satisfaction of Anymore, uh, and the LP ends with two covers, Let It Be, and Freebird featuring Leonard Skinner members uh, Gary Rossington, who uh, who passed away in March, and uh, Artemis Pyle, along with posthumous vocals from Ronnie Van Zant. Uh, and this is set for release on November 17th. You pre-order the album. And uh, for someone who turned down the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's uh, uh, in invite into the Hall of Fame, uh, she titling her album Rockstar and playing a bunch of uh, rock songs. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. So I'll check it out. I'm not a huge Dolly Parton fan, but, uh, but I'm definitely interested in different versions of covers and, uh, and uh, approaches to hearing cover songs. So uh, I'll give it a listen. There's other, a lot of other songs that, uh, like Kid, that feature Kid Rock, Steven Tyler, Stevie Nicks, uh, Chris Stapleton, Miley Cyrus, Elton John, Lizzo, so many more. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on, and on. So, so many songs. So check that out uh, when it comes out. Uh, speaking of Lizzo, uh, her big girl dancers praised her for shattering limitations in a new open letter. Uh, last month, it was revealed that the singer is being sued by three of her former dancers who cite accusations of sexual harassment in a hostile work environment. Uh, these three have accused her uh, of these uh, allegations and her dance team captain Shirlene Quigley and production company Big Girl, Big Touring Incorporated, are also named as defendants in the suit. Uh, Lizzo responded and said she was hurt by the sensationalized accusations and has hired the lawyer who worked on recent cases against Jonah Hill, Johnny Depp, and Bill Cosby. Uh, after, uh, after the conclusion of her special tour, uh, her remaining dancers uh, have shared a statement uh, praising the singer. Statement thanked her for creating a platform where they've been able to parallel our passion with a purpose. We've had the time of our lives on the special tour. We've been so honored to share the stage with such amazing talent. The commitment to character and culture uh, taking precedence over every moment, uh, and, uh, movement and moment has been one of the greatest lessons and blessings that we could possibly ask for. So there, she had a lot of support in her corner. Um, 
All right, one more story to wind us out uh, here on Concert Pipeline. Um, I mentioned last week how I uh, got the chance to see Foo Fighters in Lake Tahoe. They just played Outside Lands and Michael Buble came out on stage uh, to do a song with them also. Uh, and they've uh, set a benefit show at Chase Center in San Francisco, so another show in the area. Um, and this is a high profile gig, uh, fresh off the Outside Lands Festival. Uh, they've announced plans to play Dreamfest concert at Chase Center on September 13th. Uh, it's held in conjunction with Salesforce uh, Big uh, Biggie Dreamforce 2023. Tickets start at one thousand uh, dollars, go all the way up to a million dollars, and include a cocktail reception. Uh, and so uh, that's uh, pretty exciting, I'd say, huh? Yeah. Well, I want those million dollar tickets. I want to know what that gets me. The chances are I've already had it since I met the man himself, and I got the signed picture. Uh, to me, that's worth a million dollars, right? So pretty excited about it. But I will probably not be in attendance at the Salesforce show. I don't have that kind of Skrilla to put on a, a concert, especially for $1,000 nosebleeds. Mm, I think I'm okay. But pretty exciting that they're doing that, though, and raising money for a good cause. Uh, all right. That is our show for today. So thank you for tuning in. Um, I don't have another band lined up at this moment right now. So uh, it might be a week or two till we, our next episode. But for all of us here at Concert Pipeline, I'm Steve Jones. We'll catch you next time.